Okay, and tonight, oh, hey, <laughs> hey, um, tonight we have a wonderful speaker. Uh, we have a speaker that definitely, this is one of the, the, the topics of his heart, North Korea, but I believe he's going to bring a powerful word tonight. And so let's give a warm welcome for Pastor um, John Michael Becker. Let's give it up. All right, this is low, by the way, just to tell you, it's one bar. Good evening, everyone. It's, it's been a while since uh, I've gotten to speak, and uh, quite, as, quite a bit has actually changed uh, in my life since the last time I spoke. If you guys haven't noticed, I now have a lovely fiancé, Sky. Yeah. And I have a whole new wardrobe. Yeah. Yeah, clothes were actually a source of trauma for me growing up. I don't know if you guys knew that, but I'm slightly colorblind and I cannot match colors whatsoever. And so in high school, uh, I had to wear a uniform growing up in uh, elementary and middle school. So that was great for me. It's like the same white shirt, same slacks every day. Uh, but then I went to a public high school, and so I had to dress myself, and I would come down every morning, and my mom would crack up, along with my friend who would, I would walk to school with. And it would carry on to here. Uh, if you guys have been here long enough, you'd see me preach in many different clothes that I should never be wearing. Um, I wouldn't know the difference between a nice tie and a piece of rope. Uh, so I'm really thankful uh, for Sky. Uh, I mean, it's, it's so bad that I, you guys know I serve at a children's home, and there have been times where the kids have gotten on me about my clothes at the children's home, told me to change before we go out in public. So, <laughs> praise the Lord for Sky. And uh, I, I don't think this happens to every guy, but, but through Sky, I've actually learned the importance of clothes, just how important clothes are, uh, not just for us, but for God. And uh, most of us think that the fashion world is materialistic, it's demonic. Uh, it's, it's evil. Uh, but the truth is, is that God was the creator of fashion. Amen. He was the one who clothed Adam and Eve. And he was very detailed in how he clothed the priests and the royalty. And if you remember, Jesus actually had such a nice linen garment that the soldiers divided his clothes at his crucifixion. And whenever the prophets make mention of God, I don't know if you've noticed this, but they always mention his attire. They always mention what God is wearing. And it's always clothes fitting for the king of kings. You see, clothes usually symbolize a person's identity. Okay, so Joseph, he had his coat of many colors. So he knew he was a favored son. Kings, they have their kingly garments. Priests, their priestly garments. Beggars, lepers, they have their rags. Prisoners, they have their prison clothes. What you wear usually represents your identity. And who you are. And so the question I have for you guys tonight is, what are you guys wearing? Not in the natural, but in the spiritual. What spiritual garments are you wearing right now? And so before I, get into, before I pray for us, I want you to open your Bibles to Isaiah 59. Go ahead and open up there. The title of tonight's message, if you're taking notes, it's called... Choosing the right clothes. 
I wish I had gotten this message a long time ago. Choosing the right clothes. Isaiah 59. Tell you what, let me say a word of prayer for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to share your word, Lord God. You are so good and you are so gracious, God. And God, I just pray peace over every heart tonight. And uh, God, I thank you for this word that you've given, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that the messages of this word, even though many people may have heard it before, Lord, it will cut deep into the heart tonight. That you will do a mighty work, Lord God, through this word. May you anoint me, your servant, Lord God. May your words come out and accomplish all that you desire. We thank you for this time. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 59, 6. Isaiah is prophesying a rebuke to the people of God. In the ESV, this is what it says. Isaiah 59, 6. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity and deeds of violence are in their hands. Uh, For this verse, I like the New King James Version a lot. And this is what it reads. Their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Nor will they cover themselves with their works. So in other words, our works here on earth will, will not be able to cover us when we're in front of God. Turn your Bible a few pages to Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64, verse 6. says this, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So I want to ask you guys, what clothes are you wearing? I think you guys have heard this word before, your righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, and yet so often the church, so many people tend to clothe themselves with their works. They tend to justify their standing before God and before men by what they're wearing, by their works, by what they are doing. And so with this mindset, when we're doing well, we tend to walk around like we're clothed like a king. We tend to have our head held up high. But when we're doing poorly, we wear the rags of the leper. And we say we're not we're not worthy to stand before God. And so there is this up and down mindset that we carry as we try and justify ourselves with our works. And yet the truth is, is that all our works, no matter how good or how poor they are, they're nothing before God. In fact, if we're wearing our works, we're considered filthy in His sight. No matter how many salvations uh, we're able to do through evangelism, no matter how many healings, how many miracles, how many awesome deeds we're able to do, it's all filth, polluted garments before God. And I believe God, the reason why God is having me share this message tonight It's because, one, it applies to us, our generation. It also applies to Korea. And Korea is a nation, if you guys guys have probably noticed, since the Korean War, people have worked so hard, so diligently in this nation to make it the economy that it is today, to make it the nation that it is today. But sadly, one of the issues that Korea struggles with is striving, is go, 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 go mentality. And so you have students who are studying all night. You have adults, their parents, who are working all night. And there's this constant thought that if I don't study well enough, then my fellow classmate will get ahead of me. And they rank every classmate. Or if I don't stay late enough at work, 
then I'll be frowned upon by my coworkers. I must stay late. And it gets to the point that even the country itself has a mindset of constantly looking at the countries that are ahead of us and behind us. It's that competitive mentality. We find our identity in our works, and we feel if we fall behind, then we're failures. And this is why so many commit suicide in this nation, because they begin to fall behind in their studies, because they don't do well in the college entrance exam, and they think, it's, it's all over. I've lost my identity. I've lost who I am. And it's the same for our generation. We are the fast food generation. And in our generation, we always expect results right away. We expect, okay, I got this dream. Okay, what's your three-year plan for the dream of your life? It's kind of the way we operate. We think, okay, within two years, I expect to do, be doing a mighty healing ministry with revival going all across the land. And that's a beautiful dream. But the thing is, is we pressure ourselves with that because it's fast food mentality. We expect quick results. We think it's going to come so fast. And so this is a word that I've actually shared with almost every person I've done healing and deliverance ministry for. I will counsel them, and almost all of them, and I think it's just for a lot of us who are, who are in this transition here in Korea, we're trying to find our place. We're trying to figure out what we're, what we're supposed to be doing with our life. And we have these dreams, but we're not seeing them come to fruition. And so we get this stress and we get this burden over ourselves. And I believe this is the word that God desires you to hear tonight. And so I want you to open your Bible to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at a couple key verses in your Bible. Revelation chapter 3. This is a message Jesus had to the church of Laodicea. He first addresses their works. He says, I know your works. I know what you've done. God is aware of our righteous deeds. And God will bless us in the end. God will honor us for what we do. But notice his rebuke here. Chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. He says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, you're naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You see, this, this was a church that had clothed themselves in their works. They thought, okay, because we're succeeding, we're doing great before God. Because things just seem well in the church, we're doing so well before God. But God calls them naked. He says, you're filled with shame. You need white garments to cover yourself. Now look at Matthew 22. I want to hammer this home to you guys tonight, the importance of our spiritual garments. Turn to Matthew 22. This is the parable of the wedding feast. God is speaking, of, or Jesus is speaking of the coming kingdom. Matthew 22, verses 11 through 14. Please read along with me. It says this, but when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So are you guys convinced yet that your clothes matter to God? 
Here he comes up to the guy and he says, friend, where are your clothes? And then he binds him up and casts him out of the wedding feast into the outer darkness. And so the question you guys are all likely asking, and perhaps many of you guys already know the answer is, what are the clothes that God is calling us to wear? If it's not our works, if it's not these different things, then what are the garments that we must wear in order to be welcomed into that wedding feast, in order for us to be justified in our standing before God? And the answer is very, very simple. But I pray that you listen tonight and you take it deep to your heart. The answer is grace. The answer is simply grace. We are clothed in God's grace and that alone, that alone justifies our standing before God. You see, I don't care how righteous a man you are. When you stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and all his majesty, your, your deeds are nothing. They're filth. They are filth, polluted garments. But when you wear the grace that Jesus bought for us at the cross, when he said it is finished, he meant it is finished. He meant that we're not called to strive any longer. He meant that we're not supposed to live in that go, go, go mentality any longer. He said it is finished. Receive my grace. See what happened to Adam and Eve when they were in the garden. They sinned. They realized they were naked. What did they clothe themselves with? They clothed themselves with fig leaves. Fig leaves. If you know your Bible, the fig tree represents our quiet time with God. That was the place where the Pharisees, the, the, the students of the law, would go and study and meditate and pray to the Lord. They would be found under the fig tree. But Adam and Eve found that even though they clothed themselves in their fig leaves, they were still naked before God. What had to happen was God had to come. He had to make garments for them. He had to clothe them. So what do you do? What do you do in order to receive those garments of grace? How, how do you get clothed in His grace? It's very simple. And I want you guys to look at this verse. It's Isaiah 30, verse 15. I know I'm having you guys flip around, but it's important for you guys to see the Scripture yourselves. If you guys didn't bring your Bible, I want to encourage you guys, bring your Bible whenever you go to church. Pretty much wherever you go, you should have your Bible with you. Isaiah 30, 15. says this in returning and rest you shall be saved in quietness and in trust shall be your strength let me read that again in returning and rest you shall be saved in quietness and in trust shall be your strength you see Adam and Eve they couldn't clothe themselves by their own works they worked hard getting those fig leaves to, to cover themselves. But they knew it was nothing before God. God had to clothe them. All Adam and Eve could do was stand still. Leviticus 8 is one of my favorite chapters. We're not going to read it. It's a long chapter. But Leviticus 8 is about the ordination of the high priest Aaron and his sons as priests of the Lord. And you want to know the process that they had to go through in order to be consecrated for such a calling as the high priest? What they had to do was Aaron and his sons had to come in and stand there as Aaron's brother Moses had to unclothe them. They were naked before Moses. Moses then had to wash them, symbolizing God cleansing us of our sins, baptism. Then Moses had to clothe them. All Aaron and his sons could do was just stand there. 
They couldn't do a thing. Then what did Moses do? He took oil and he poured it out upon them and anointed them. And Aaron and his sons just continued to stand there. And then Moses, he went and he slaughtered the bull. And he took the blood and he sprinkled it upon Aaron and his sons. And all they did was stand there. And this process continued. He did more sacrifices on their behalf. And all they did was stand there. And at the end of the process, they were called to sit down and to eat of the offering. And Moses gave them a command and said, you must stay in this tent of meeting for one week. Then you will be ready. If you leave, you will die. Think about that. What did Aaron do during that whole process? He stood there. He just stood there. And then he ate of the sacrifice that was done for his behalf. He didn't make that sacrifice. It was done for his behalf. He enjoyed it. Then he was told, you don't do a thing for a week. Then you'll be deemed worthy. You see what God was emphasizing to Aaron? It's not you that has has earned this right for this calling. You have done nothing to earn this right. I'm the one who washed you. I clothed you. I anointed you. I did the sacrifice for you. Now just sit and enjoy my sacrifice. Have peace. And I'm going to make you do this for a week. So that you get it out of your system that it's you who's earning this. That it's you who's justified this calling. Be clothed in my grace. Relax. Rest in my presence. It's a strong word, church. Because if you think it's by your works, if you think you can leave that tent of meeting, that you've earned it on your own, you're going to die. It's a strong warning. You just read that parable of the wedding feast. Where are your clothes? Bind him up and cast him out. We have to learn to be clothed in his grace. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. You know, so often we we hear these commands, rest in the Lord, rest in the Lord. And I'm guilty of this. I I have lived such a go, go, go mentality all my life that, okay, okay, I'm going to rest. And I lay down and I turn on music and within two minutes, I'm thinking of all the things I got to do. Okay. And after like four minutes, I'm like, all right, it was a good song. Now let's, let's, let's get busy. Okay. That is me resting before the Lord. And God's really been having to rip that out of me. He's been having to tear that up. And you would think resting before, before the Lord is easy, but the truth is it requires faith because so often we're used to just carrying it on our own. We're used to preparing these things. We're used to to doing these good works so that we feel good about ourselves. We're not used to just sitting back and relaxing before God. Relaxing actually requires faith. It requires faith. And what I've noticed in my walk is the most mature believers are very, very relaxed. So many people look at Paul, the Apostle Paul, and they say, all right, he is the standard of Christianity. I mean, if you want to be a good Christian, you got to go city to city. You got to preach the word. You got to evangelize, speak in front of kings. You got to get shipwrecked. You got to stay up all night. You got to get whipped and, and beat up. But you want to know when, when Paul did some of his greatest work? It was in prison. He was just chilling. Okay. You know, we think, oh man, Paul did the greatest work when he was running around, but we read little of those accounts. It was his letters that we read. It was the same for the Apostle John. He's on the island of Patmos, and likely he thought, well, I guess ministry's over. I guess I'll just chill, you know, and, until I die. And then, boom, he's taken up to heaven. He writes the book of Revelation. 
Okay, he did his greatest work when he was in exile. Do you realize that? Some of us have a mentality that we got to be doing all these works. We got to be doing pressing, pressing. We got to press in, press in. And then we'll see the results. When the greatest men of God, they did a lot of their greatest works when they were in prison, when they were just relaxing. They had nothing better to do. You know, and, and I'm going to be honest, the works aren't that important to God. Okay, and I, I know that that really makes people angry for whatever reason, but works aren't that important. You see, I love, if you haven't noticed, I love studying people's lives. I love learning from example. And so I'm sharing all these examples. Well, Hebrews 11 is a great, great chapter to read if you want to learn by example. It's the book of faith. Who's the first person listed in the book of faith? His name is Abel. You want to know what Abel is known for? He made an acceptable sacrifice to God. And he made the book of faith. I mean, think about that resume. This is my resume. Made an acceptable sacrifice to God. Because Abel walked with God. He knew he, who he was. Who's the second guy? You guys know who the second guy is in, in the book of faith, chapter of faith? It's Hebrews 11.5. I'm going to read it. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Pleased God. I mean, you read the book of Genesis, he's got to be in there somewhere. You find him and it says, Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. Think about that. He got in the book of faith. We think, oh, it's got to, we got to do revival tents. We got to walk on water. We got to do all these things. And then we'll get in the book of faith. Enoch walked with God. And that was enough. He pleased the Lord. He knew who he was before the Lord. He was walking in grace. My favorite example of all is Abraham. Father Abraham. He's the man who's probably affected the world more than any other man other than Adam and Jesus. Abraham is the one whom we have Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Okay, He's almost like the father of religion, if you, if you want to put it that way. Father of nations. Mighty man of God. Mighty man of faith. But let's think about Abraham's life. He lived a long life. This was his resume. He was called by God to leave his home country. And he obeyed. But you know what? He didn't obey fully because he was told to leave his family. And if you read the Gospels and you read the book of Acts closely, you will see he took his cousin Lot and his father along. And it wasn't until his father died that God was able to push him and have him go into the land of Canaan. So he left his home country. And then he kind of you know, lived a long life. He had Ishmael. That, that was more of a mistake. Then he had Isaac. Okay? He, he had a son. And then what he's, he, Abraham is known as, as the greatest act of faith that he did. He was willing to sacrifice Isaac. And that took faith. That took faith to be able to sacrifice basically the one work that he had in all his life. He was willing to. But that's it. Think about it. one of the greatest men, man, men to ever live. Okay? He is, he's like the father of faith, the father of nations. Wow, Abraham, if I could just be like Abraham. Left his home country. Hey, most of you guys have already done that. Okay. He, he had a kid. 
Okay, and praise, you know, hopefully all of you guys will have a kid as well. And then he was willing to sacrifice the kid. Now, maybe we won't be pushed, you know, to do that. But that's it. So he had three lines on his resume. He didn't have, you know, just walked with God or please God, accept the sacrifice. He had left his home country, had a son. I don't know if that's really a work, you know, but had a son. And then, you know, he was willing to sacrifice his son. He lived over 100 years. He lived over 100 years before he even had Isaac. Think about our lives. Think about how, how urgent our call is. Think about how, how soon we got to get things done. I got this dream that I'm, I'm going to be this leader of this country. Well, you better, you better get busy. You better start doing these things. You better start doing these things. You got to work your way up. You got to work your way up. You got to work. Think about how you're going to die if you live with that mentality. Want to know how Joseph became king? He just kind of relaxed and went with the flow. He's with his brothers. All right, now he's with Potiphar. All right, now he's in prison. Okay, and now, boom, now he's head over the nation. Did he have, like, some 10-year plan? Some three-year plan? Was he, like, striving and stressed out all that time? I don't think so. How did David become king? Okay, he just walked with God. Yeah, he killed Goliath. He fought the battles, but he wasn't trying to, to make the kingship. He was just being an obedient son, being an obedient servant of the king. And then he was in the wilderness for many years, running from the king. He didn't kill Saul. He didn't do anything. He was just waiting on God. And then, boom, he became one of the greatest kings we would ever know. The world has ever known. I want you guys to think about that. What are you clothed in? Is stress marking your life? Is there an urgency to your life? I mean, I hate to point it out, but stress, urgency, burdens, that's all lack of faith. It's the same as doubt. Is God really going to do this in my life? I'm not sure, so maybe I should start doing things on my own. You see, God's not really interested in the amazing things. He didn't list any of Enoch's works. They, they weren't that important to him. What was important was that Enoch walked with him. And you see, when we learn to walk with God, those works, they come forth. We see them come forth. It's just natural. But we're not even focused on them either. You see, what was Jesus' prayer in the garden before his crucifixion? What was his prayer for us? Was it, God, I pray you give them strength so that they can go out and they can, they can spread my word to the nations. I pray that, you know, you give them anointing, that you help them pray every day and, and you help them, you know, lay hands on the sick. God, I pray that you do all these things. No. His prayer was, God, bring them into unity with you and me. Bring them into unity with one another. Let them be one. Let them learn what it is to be in my presence. Let them relax. Sounds like a crazy prayer for the Messiah to pray before he shed his blood for us, before he endured everything for us. You would think he'd be asking for something in return. But no, his calling was just for us to relax. And I'm going to read this warning in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Jesus said, for those who clothe themselves with their works. For those who have that go-go mentality, those who are just so focused on doing the works of the Father, he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Many, many will say, I prophesy. I cast out demons. I perform miracles. And you will say, you are workers of lawlessness. You never knew me and I never knew you. That's a strong word, church. How dare we ever clothe ourselves in our works? How dare we ever put works above relationship with God? How dare we ever say works and striving is more important than knowing His grace, than knowing His blood, than knowing what He has done for us? How can you say you're doing the will of God if you don't have a relationship with Him? And how can you say you have a relationship with God if you don't know how to relax in His presence? If you don't know how to rest before Him? Many of you guys know that God has given a calling over my life uh, to go into North Korea. And He's given me a, a deep heart for the orphans of North Korea and of, of North China and of South Korea, not just North Korea, but for the children of the Korean heritage, the Korean race. And God has spoken to me personally. He has spoken through different prophets. He's spoken through my dad. He's spoken through many different people affirming this call in my life. And I know that this is going to come. And I'll share about North Korea, especially with people who are interested in North Korea. We'll, we'll share different stories. And what I found was so many people who have a heart for North Korea is they are so passionate. And they're so excited. And they'll look at me and they'll be like, hey man, when North Korea opens up, you're going to run right in, aren't you? I mean, we're, we're just going to take it, right? And I'll tell them, no. Not a chance. I will never go into North Korea unless God tells me to. Unless He opens the door. I'm not going to step foot in that nation without him opening the door for me and him saying go. Because if I don't go with his blessing, I'm going to fall apart. He's the one who opens the door. He's the one who gives the favor. He's the one who blesses. He's the one who's going to heal the nation. He's the one who's going to lift them up. He's the one that's going to release the provision. It's not me. If I think it's me, I'm going to get crushed by that burden or I'm going to be filled with pride and he's going to remove me. It's him who does the work. So I ask you, is it God's will for North Korea to be saved? Of course, it is God's will for North Korea to be saved. So does that mean when North Korea opens up, we got to take it right away? Of course not. We wait for the Lord. We look to him. Was it the will of God for the Israelites to take the promised land? Of course was it God's will then for them to just run on ahead and say, well, God's given it to us. We just got to go. We got to go take it. Of course not. He had them wait. He had them learn how to follow his spirit first. And he would have them sit in the same place. And they wouldn't know how long they would have to sit. But they had to stay there. And if they went ahead, they would lose their protection. And that happened. And many of them were slaughtered. In Numbers, I believe it was Numbers 14. They went ahead without God's blessing. They were doing the will of the Father. They didn't know the true will of the Father. They thought they did. Church, is it God's will for you to achieve the dreams that He's given you? Of course it is. Of course it is His will for you to accomplish, to achieve those dreams. 
But remember, it's his will. It's not your will. He's the one who does the work. And if I could just speak to each of you in this room, I would just say, relax. Don't worry about next year or the year after that. You know, I, I got I to prepare for this. I got to, I got to, all right, if this door doesn't open, then I, I just, I'll commit myself to grad school for four years and I'll feel safe because I'm studying for four years. Okay, maybe, God, maybe grad school is God's will, but it should never be done out of compulsion. It should never be done, well, well I just got to choose something or else I feel unworthy before God. I feel like I'm doing nothing. God wants us just to relax. He wants us to learn how to be clothed in His grace, how to walk with Him. And hey, if the, the, if the amazing works happen tomorrow, praise God. But if they don't happen until 100 years old, will you be content? I really believe that the faith of Abraham wasn't so much in, in Isaac, you know, and, and those things. The faith of Abraham was in between those chapters that we read in Genesis. What was he doing every 10 years between the word of the Lord? God spoke to him six times in the book of Genesis. And you would think, well, if God spoke to me six times in my life, I'd be set. But Abraham lived 100 years. We're looking for prophetic words every week. Okay? <laughs> Abraham just waited. That was the faith of Abraham. He waited on the Lord. He trusted in him. God only had to say once, hey, this is your call. This is what you will do. And God knows our hearts. God knows that we're not perfect. And so he appeared before Abraham a few more times and said, it's going to happen. Just you wait. It's going to happen. Just you wait. And Abraham never doubted. Abraham never, you know, tried to. And, and the one time he stepped out of bounds, the one time he tried to push it, we did get Ishmael. Okay? Let that be a lesson. Yes. Okay? We're called to rest. We're called to trust in his promises. He is faithful. And if we're 100 years old, when he starts, quote, unquote, using us, so be it. I believe that will take much more faith to wait until you're 100 than it will to strive and try and do stuff right now in the streets. Rest in his presence. He's the one who's going to open the doors. He's the one that releases the favor. We don't need to yell and scream and beg God because he's a good God. Because he cares for us. He's the one who's given us this will. When we pray, we pray from faith. And yes, we may yell and scream, but that's just declarations of our faith. Because we trust in Him and we're secure. We're not nervous. We're not burdened. We're not stressed out. We're men and women of faith. We're clothed in His grace. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with robes of righteousness. Let me close this in prayer. Hallelujah, God. I just thank you, Lord, for your grace, God, that clothes us, Lord. And God, I just thank you that we don't have to do a thing, Lord, but just acknowledge you. Just walk with you. Just be with you. And so, God, in this place, I just break off striving. I break off all stress, all burdens. I break off all fear of the future. God, it's your will being done in our lives, and we are safe in your arms. We are trusting in you. And, God, we pray for Korea as well right now. And, God, we just break off striving in this nation. And we declare, Lord God, that their identity is found in you, not in their works, not in their job, not in the things that they do, God, but it is found in you. And we speak peace, Lord God, to the striving hearts of Korea. 
We speak an end to depression, an end to suicide, an end to the pressures of this world. We declare faith and rest in this nation. And God, I just pray a special grace of your church as we go into this week of fasting on behalf of North Korea and praying for North Korea. God, I pray that we may see your true will for this nation. God, I pray that we will be a people, Lord God, not of your works, but of your will. We'll be a people of your grace. And we'll be able to rest in your presence and receive your heart, Lord God. Just be able to lay before you, Lord, and weep, Lord God, for your heart for North Korea. And be able to laugh and sing and shout for the promises that you have for this nation, Lord. May you release it all, God. And God, I thank you. It's not by your, by our works, Lord God, that you do these things, but it's by your spirit within us. It's by us just walking with you, being secure with you. And I declare that peace over each and every one of us. Thank you, God. In Jesus name. Amen.